Okay, well, it's great to be with you. Thank you, Warren, for reading that. I'm going to begin this message by asking you a question. And the question is, have you ever had that experience where you have got to go to a supermarket? You may have been asked to go to this supermarket. You may not know this supermarket very well. And you've been asked to go and buy a very specific item. Okay, let's say for the sake of today, it is some shampoo. As you can see, I work my way through a lot of shampoo all the time. Uh, and you, you arrive at this shampoo, at this uh, supermarket, you're looking for shampoo, and you spend what seems like ages walking up and down pretty much every aisle, wondering where the shampoo has gone. But eventually you find the shampoo uh, aisle, and then literally at that point, you have the choice. Do you know what I mean by the choice? Yeah, because you go from like, there's a complete shampoo desert, I can't find, why have I come to the supermarket with no shampoo, I've come on no, national no shampoo day, to finding the aisle full of what seems to be literally thousands and thousands of bottles of shampoo. And you're thinking, why on earth are there so many bottles of shampoo? Who buys all this stuff? There's expensive shampoo, cheap shampoo. There's shampoo made from extract of coconut, lemon, raspberry, apple, melon, green tea, sea lion, shampoo with caffeine, with carotene, with Moroccan argan oil, shampoo that dazzles that shines, revitalizes, that protects, that ignites, that hydrates. Shampoo for intensive repair, daily care, for no care whatsoever. Who cares? Shampoo for blondes, for brunettes, for thin hair, for fine hair, for brittle hair, for damaged hair, for long hair, for short hair, and for no hair whatsoever. <laughs> and, and you stand there and you think, I don't care, I'm just going to buy some shower gel. I'm just going to leave. Because you're just overwhelmed by the sheer amount of choice. Now, we are fortunate to live in a context where there is choice and there is enough, you know, there's enough wealth in, in the world for most of us that we get to buy basic provisions. And we know that's not true of every nation in the world and some of the ones that some of us in the room have grown up in, that is not the story. So we're fortunate. But we do have an issue with choice because choice can lead us to choice overload. Um, I don't know if anybody in the room remembers just having three TV channels. Anybody? Let's have a show of hands. There used to be, for those of you who are a bit younger than me, and I know there's not many of you in the room, okay, there used to be just three, okay, and that was okay. Life was quite good. And then eventually someone said, let's have a fourth. And creatively, remarkably, imaginatively, they called it Channel Four. And then they said, let's have a fifth. What should we call it? Oh, I don't know. Channel Five? I don't know. And then at some point someone said, stop, we need some different names. And now we have thousands of TV channels, none of them are any good at all, and we spend our time going, no, 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 no. We spend hours going, no, no, no. And we don't choose anything because we've got so much choice. And it is what psychologists call choice fatigue. We're overwhelmed by choice, and the problem is when we have that many options, we get overwhelmed, we freeze, and we don't choose anything at all. Now, the reason I want to start by talking about that is because we know that that is what can happen a little bit sometimes in church. You might be looking for a church, and there are staff with that many churches, you don't know which one to choose, or you come to a church and you arrive, let's say you come to a big church like King's, you arrive, often you will come first on a Sunday, that's great, hopefully you enjoy the experience, you find the worship helpful and uplifting, you find the teaching incredible, Certainly on some mornings, okay, helpful. And you, if you have children, thank you for that one person who clapped. And young people, Warren got more claps than I did, you know. And, um, and you find there's a good provision for your kids as well. And that's all great. And if you're here today 
and you're at that point, it's often the entry point into a church community, you are very welcome, and the rest of this message is not, if you like, angled at you. But if you've been around here at any length of time, you will know that we would encourage you at the appropriate moment to step beyond that entry point, where you go from just attending and enjoying to participating and hopefully still enjoying, but you kind of make a step in and you start to contribute and participate. Now, the problem is when you come to make that step in a big church, sometimes there are so many options. All the groups I could choose, which one do I go to? All the teams I could join, I'm not sure which one. And you get so much choice that you hit choice overload and we freeze and we don't pick anything, and we stall in terms of getting into church. Now, we're aware of that as a leadership team, and it's a little bit of a background to this message in the next two weeks. We are working on thinking through what is the easiest and best ways for people to come and join our church and get into our uh, church communities. And we're designing, if you like, some new what we're calling steps into the church. Now, in many ways, nothing will change. If you're new to us, you would be free to, and we'd invite you to join a group quickly, join a serving team quickly. And if you've not done that, and you're, you know, we would encourage all of you in the room to do both those things. But we're designing, if you like, a, a sort of a new way in, and we're going to launch this next year. And we're calling them Steps Into Kings. And we're going to encourage anyone who's new to us, who wants to get involved with us, to come to these three moments because they will be the best and simplest way to connect into our church. They will be one-off moments. In other words, they're not courses over several weeks or groups where you go to for a number of occasions. They'll be one-off moments, and they'll probably generally take place on a Sunday morning during the service. And we're going to call them creatively. The first one is called First Step. Thank you very much. That's the same people who thought of Channel 4. Next Step and Leader Step. Those are our working titles for now. And in these moments, we're going to use these moments to help people who are wanting to find out a bit more and join us to learn a bit more about what we believe, why we're here, what kind of church we are, and how you can best play your part and get involved and find friends and use your gifts. The thinking behind it is, I don't know if you've ever been to a park, it could be a theme park or even just a big park like Beckenham Place Park, where you turn up as a big space, you don't know your way around, and you'll find there's a map somewhere. And the map shows you the whole area that you could go to. Now, that's all very helpful, but if you don't know where you are on the map, you just don't know where to go. So often you'll find there's an arrow that goes, you are here, yeah? And it basically is designed to orientate you to know, ah, I'm here, and from here I can go into all these routes. While these steps really are the big arrows that go, you're here, this is the kind of church we are, and here are some recommended routes into our community and into our church. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because today and in the next two weeks, Andrew and myself are going to teach through some of the material, only bits of it, that we're going to go through in these moments. And also, we're going to teach through some of our core convictions that we hold about growth and discipleship, about leadership and serving, and fundamentally about why we believe for Christians we need to find a local church that we connect to and we commit to. And that's why we've read this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, because this passage teaches us along with lots of other things it teaches us, about why, critical, how, why it is so critical and fundamental for a follower of Jesus to be part of a local church. And my aim is that by the end of this message, you'll all be awake, and anybody in the room who is in that kind of zone where we've never really committed to a church or connected to a church 
will have moved in your heart where you think, I need to get in. I need to find a home. Now, this is not a recruitment drive for our church here. You're very welcome here. If you like this church, this is the right place for you, then we would encourage you to connect and step in here. But if it's another church, that's fine. But we would just encourage you to connect and commit somewhere rather than drift around from church to church. The reason I'm teaching on it and the reason I want to cover it today is because it is very possible, particularly in Western Christianity, which is, I know we're not all from the West, but we're all living here now. In Western Christianity, there is a prevalent theme where we have disconnected belief from believers and faith from community. So it's very possible to become a Christian now and profess a very clear faith in Jesus, but never to attend church. Or maybe ready to attend church, but never to really connect into it. Or we connect into it, but whatever point, we never get to the point where we really commit and start to contribute. And it's very easy to do that. Christians will often drift around churches, orbit on the edge, but never find a home where they go, I'm in. And I think that's for a number of reasons. Sometimes there are very uh, understandable and challenging personal reasons where something has happened in our past where we've been hurt from church, burnt from a situation, and it has made us understandably cautious about committing into another church. We understand that. We would still want to say to you it's important to work through that uh, rather than allowing that to dictate everything about the rest of your life. But I would also say there are cultural, Western cultural reasons and values which seep into our approach, our thinking, our view of faith and church, and affects the way we view commitment. So, for example, let me just talk about uh, the issue of individuality. We live in a hugely individualistic society, which means often whenever we walk into anything new, the very first question we, we hear in our head is, what's in this for me? How does this affect me? Uh, what do I get out of this? So we live in a hugely individualistic society. Uh, society, which means that when we think of faith, we often think of faith as just me and Jesus. And if you just boil it down to just me and Jesus, it means me and Jesus are good, and I can just listen to some talks off the website, off the podcast. I can consume from all over the place. I can consume a whole bunch of good stuff and a whole bunch of stuff which probably isn't that helpful. And I've just boiled it down to me and Jesus, and I'll consume some stuff when I feel like it. We don't commit anywhere. We also live in a hugely consumer society, which means we tend to walk into a, a scenario like a church or anywhere else, and we go, well, what do I get out of it? What do I get? How do I benefit? Did I like it? Those are all actually appropriate questions to ask. They're just not the only questions you should ask, because hopefully you do like it, and hopefully you do benefit from it. Lastly, we live in a society which is, uh, I would say, commitment cautious. You know what I mean by that? That lots of people in, our, in Western society are cautious and there's an inherent mistrust of committing to something that they might consider a community or an institution or whatever they want to call it. And it's into that kind of cultural mix that we live in, you read something like 1 Corinthians 12. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul paints a picture of the church, of the body of believers, about what the church should look like and how we should play a part in it, our place in the church. Now, everything I'm going to teach you from this passage now is remarkably simple. I suspect most of us in the room could get up and find the same things that I found. Okay? The issue is not if it's there or whether it's clever. The issue is, am I going to do anything with it? Am I going to allow the Bible to shape 
the choices I make? Will I allow God's word to shape and affect the trajectory of my life? In other words, that's the challenge. It's not whether what I'm going to say here is clever. It's whether, will I allow this to affect me? Will I listen to him and will I allow it to affect me? So first thing you notice is this. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about, assumes, communicates very clearly that that the church, the connection into the body of Jesus is for everyone. No exceptions. Faith and connection are, if you like, assume that they go together. A number of verses that show you this. Verse 7. Now to each one, everyone, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. I'm going to explain that a bit more in a minute. Verse 11. All of these are the work of the same Spirit. Those are the gifts. And he distributes it to each one as he determines that each one has been given gifts. Verse 13. We were all baptized by one Spirit. We were all given one Spirit to drink. We were all of us, all of us. In verse 27, the killer verse, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So the Bible is very, very clear. When it comes to being part of the body, the church, and the church is the local expression of the body of Christ, everyone who comes to faith, who professes faith in Jesus, should be involved, connected to, part of, committed to a local community of believers called the local church. Now, There's a writer called Gordon Fee who wrote a brilliant book called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. If you ever read any Gordon Fee stuff, that's a really good book to read. He's he's written some other very heavy stuff, which I didn't understand. Andrew probably does. I went to a conference once with Gordon Fee speaking, and um, I didn't understand a word he said. He talked on worship, and I'm looking around the room. Everybody else in the room is nodding, going, hmm, hmm. And I'm going, I have no idea what he's talking about. But he's a bright guy, and he writes in this book about the whole... Uh, disconnect in Western society between people who come to Jesus and sometimes they disconnect from church, that they don't put the two together. That We tend to think often about me and Jesus, and that's the prevalent way we think about faith. And this is what he says about how the New Testament views that way of thinking. Though entered individually, so we come to Jesus one-on-one, Salvation is seldom, if ever in the New Testament, thought of simply a one-on-one relationship with God. While such a relationship is included, so it's real and should be enjoyed, to be sure, to be saved means especially to be joined to the people of God. Now, this is slightly provocative, this next statement, but I'll explain it to you. There is no salvation outside of the church because God is saving a people for his name, not a miscellaneous, unconnected set of individuals. Now, he's not saying there you can't be a Christian and, and not go to church. He's not saying that. What he's saying is there's, there's nothing in the Bible. It makes no sense to the Bible. If you're, if you're born again, you're born again into a body of believers. That You never disconnect faith from community or belief from believers. That's the whole point of your salvation is you are born into a people that God is gathering and he wants to dwell amongst. In other words, being part of a choice, a church, is not firstly a pragmatic thing, although it is a pragmatic thing. It's not only a choice thing. It is a choice thing. It is firstly and fundamentally an identity issue that you have to resolve. That is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 uses the, body, the picture of a body. The language he uses is all about a body. And he says, you and I are all members of the body. Now, when he uses the word member, we think of like a member, being a member of a club. He's not talking about that. He's not like saying you're a member of the National Trust or whatever it is you're a member of. It's not like that. 
The word member literally means like a limb or an organ, like a foot or a hand or a kidney or a liver or a heart. And he's saying, you are all part of it. And just in the way that it makes no sense for a foot to be on its own, because a foot is pointless on its own. So a foot, if, you, if you're made as a foot, the foot has to be connected to a body. Otherwise, it simply makes no sense. That's what he's saying. If you're a Christian, you are connected to a body. And that is exactly how it's got to be. That's the way he made us. However, we know, because we just talked about it, don't we, that in our context, many have disconnected faith from community. Well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And sometimes, like we said, that's personal reasons or cultural reasons. We may attend church occasionally. We may enjoy it. We may consume but we have never moved past this point to the place where we connect or we commit. Now, if belief and believers are meant to be together, which is what 1 Corinthians 12 teaches, I believe, right? what is the impact if we never do that? If I orbit on the edge of church and I never step in, I never make that step, what is the impact on that? Well, I want to suggest there's two sides to that story. First of all, this. If I don't step into a church and connect to another body of believers, then there is an impact on the church, on the body, in terms of who the church is meant to be. Verse 17 says this. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So Paul is saying, if you do not connect and commit, the whole of the rest of the body is affected, it suffers. But if you connect and function, then the body does well. I don't know if you've ever had toothache. Anybody ever had a really bad toothache? Show hands just for a moment. Okay, it's pretty hideous, isn't it, a toothache? Uh, I'm sure my wife will say it's not as bad as childbirth, which I'm sure is true, but it's, it's close second, I imagine, a bad toothache. Okay, okay, I've lost half the room. Okay, now... Um, a few years ago, I had a really bad toothache, and it was like two days in between getting toothache to be able to see a dentist. And I tried everything I could to kind of kill this pain. I tried every level of legal painkillers. I went to the chemist and said, legally, what can you sell me which can kill this thing? And whatever they sold me, nothing worked at all. Okay, so I'm in real pain. I'm not sleeping properly until somebody in the church says to me, have you ever tried, um, have you ever tried swinning whiskey? Now, I don't like the taste of whiskey, uh, and I, um, so I'm not advocating this as the way to kill pain, um, but I discovered that swinging whiskey around this toothache kind of numbed this pain. And that was all fine until I had to lead a church prayer meeting one evening where it was a bit tricky being at the front <laughs> with my little cup that everybody thought was water. And, uh, but it was a bit tricky, and I did have to do it a bit carefully. But anyway, but I found this. If you have a toothache... It is not localized only in your body. Have you noticed that? It seems to, it's here, but it seems to spread. It dominates everything. Everything is affected by this horrible thing. And when you get pain relief and it finally goes, it's like, ah, oh, the rest of your body goes, yes, that stupid tooth. Well, it's a little picture. If I don't commit and function in the body, the body is affected. 
But when I do connect in, I do commit, and I do function, the body does well. So in other words, my choice as to whether I connect to a church or not is not just about me anymore. It impacts the whole of the rest of the body. Verse 7 says the same thing. This is quite a famous little verse that you may have read before, I don't know. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's an interesting phrase. What it's saying is this. Everybody who's a Christian, God has given you spiritual gifts. Okay? Some of them may not feel very spiritual to you, but they're given to you. He says, and they are gifts of the Spirit where you, and you will manifest the Spirit. In other words, to manifest something is to make something, you show something. So he's saying that the gifts that are given you, let's say someone's been given a gift of hospitality, they're great at cooking and feeding people and opening up their home. That gift, when it's used, makes visible something of who God is. God who is invisible is made visible in some way through someone using that gift. Something about his generosity and his creativity and his love is made visible by someone using the gift of hospitality. And, Paul says, it's given to you for the common good. In other words, it's to benefit all these other believers. So it's obvious, if I don't connect in somewhere into a body of believers, the gifts that have been given to me, I never get to use in the context they're supposed to be used in. And so the body never gets the benefit of the gifts that have been given to me, and the same thing is true for you. If I connect in or commit in, it makes a massive deal. It's a big deal for churches if I do or don't connect in. And if I stall on the journey into church, it's a big deal. People don't get cared for the way I, they could if, I was, if I, you or I don't get involved. Ministries don't get started. Resources don't get released. If we don't connect and commit in, it impacts the body. And I want to say also, it impacts the, the community we're a part of, the city we're a part of, the nation we're a part of, because the city and the community and the nation needs a church that is all that it should be. Okay? This week alone demonstrates to you how important the church must be to stand up. Okay? And if I don't connect, connect in, it means that all the benefit we could be to the community, we can't be. And there is a call on us to connect in and to serve a whole community out of being part of a local church. So it's a big deal as to whether I connect or not. It affects the body. But I want to say there's another side to this as well, because whether I connect to a church or not, or a local body of believers, also has an impact on me or on you, if that's where you are. Because this is how we are made. If I'm a hand, surely the hand only makes sense if it's connected to an arm or a shoulder, right? The hand makes no sense on its own. In other words, not only does the body need me, but I need the body. You need to be part of a body. God creates you to be someone, to grow into being someone. But I want to suggest to you that you will never grow into fully who God is calling to you unless you are in the context of a local community of believers. You will stall in terms of your spiritual growth unless you connect in somewhere. Now, I've experienced this. I can teach it biblically, and I'm going to try and do both in the next few minutes. But I've experienced this. If you don't know my story, I'll tell you a little bit of it now. When I was about 18, I went off to university. I studied history. Um, I did pretty well. I learned a few things. But two big spiritual lessons I learned. First of all, this. When you go somewhere new, you'll never find your old church there. So if you're looking for a church, don't try and look for your old church somewhere new. Right? That's the first lesson. You can have that one for free. Second lesson is this. I discovered in terms of faith 
and following Jesus that I was nowhere near as robust and resilient as I thought I was. And I don't do very well unless I'm connected to a bunch of other uh, Christian Jesus followers. You don't make it on your own, in other words, and you're not designed to. You have to be connected in. You are not resilient enough. You're made to be part of a community. For three years, I didn't really find a church. I kind of went periodically, but I never connected or committed anywhere. And my faith reflected my experience of church. It was loose. For all my history of church, and I had a lot of it in my family, I discovered that I was no exception to the rule. In other words, I am made to grow in the context of other Christians. And when I was out of that, I struggled. And I want to suggest that is true for everybody in the room. If you don't commit in somewhere at some church, spiritually, you will struggle. You will not grow into the person that God is calling you to be. Now, after university, I uh, moved abroad. I, and then I moved to London. I came back to God pretty strongly. And I had learned these lessons. So I moved into uh, a flat in East Dulwich. I knew of two churches. I know there are hundreds of churches, but I knew of two, one in Penge, one in Catford. You've heard, some of you have heard this story before. I had no car. I knew the buses, so I said to God, you know, there's a 176 bus and there's a 185 bus. Whichever bus comes first. <laughs> That's literally what I said. Unfortunately for you, the 185 came first. <laughs> this is true. This is a totally true story. And I turned up at Catford, and that was it. I just said, That's it. Now, here's the thing. It was not the church of my dreams, And I'm sure I wasn't the individual of their dreams either. There were issues with me. They weren't thinking, he's here. But I walked in. I missed my old church. It wasn't everything I wanted. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise about your choice of church. You should. Okay, consider it carefully. But I trumped personal preference to trying to find the perfect church with the truth and the understanding and the experience of, I don't do very well spiritually on my own. i got to find a church and i got to get in. And if it's not everything I'm looking for, it doesn't matter because what's way more important is I find a spiritual home and I commit somewhere. So if you're out there looking for the perfect church, unfortunately, you're never going to find it because for a start, I'm here and you're here, okay? Which clearly makes it imperfect from the very start. So I learned, I just got to get in and I've got to make a choice and get in and that's what I did. John Ortberg, who's a brilliant writer on this kind of subject, says this, community tethers us to what is most important. I believe that's true. In other words, if you find your way into a community of believers and you connect to them and commit to them, you will find they help you grow and they help hold you to the values you say you profess and you believe in. Now, that's what I experienced, but I think it's true. You can teach it biblically. The New Testament, when it talks about spiritual growth, And transformation, it is always, always, always in the context of community. Love one another, serve one another, provoke one another, accept one another, spur one another on. You cannot do that on your own with the God channel. You can't. Hebrews 3, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, if you want to avoid falling into sin, one of the keys is having other Christians who encourage you and keep pulling you back. We're nowhere near as robust as we like to think we are. We need one another. You need to connect into a church, this one or another one, but you've got to do it if you want to grow. Now, you may be here today at the end of the service. You could come up to me and go, actually, do you know what? I'm not committed to a church. I dip in and out of church, and I'm doing pretty well with Jesus. Thank you very much. Okay, you may be the exception to the rule, but let me challenge you back if that is you. 
I suspect if you are not committed to a local body of believers, that you are being nowhere near as challenged or provoked on your own as you would in a church. You are not having to learn patience. You're not as selfless. You're not having to serve others at your own expense. You're not having people bug you to get on a rotor again and again and again as you would in a church. Because community is not always easy, and that is the very point, because it's in the tough moments sometimes in churches where we rub up against one another, where there is growth. Henry Nguyen once said, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. That's encouraging. Don't point at them in the room, because that's the place we grow. There's no church utopia out there, everybody, it's about finding a place you think is the right one, and then you say, I'm in. You make the choice. Jesus models community with the 12. And in Matthew 18, he says, where two or three are gathered, there I am also in the midst. In other words, we experience something uniquely of him together that you cannot on your own in the same way. Now, as I close, one last thing I want to say. I've preached on the issue of community quite a few times in this church, and I think it's because it's been such an important part of my own journey that I learned I needed to find a home. And I, le- I read a few old messages that I'd preached. And um, one of them I finished with the phrase, it's your life, you choose. I thought, well, that's a punchy ending. I quite like that. Okay? I, what I like about it is it's saying I'm responsible and you are responsible for the choices. What you do in 1 Corinthians 12 is your choice. It's true. You, it's your responsibility to choose whether you get into a church or not, this one or another one. Okay? It is with you and it's with me. I believe that. But I wanted to say something else to myself when I preached that message because I wanted to say, well, actually, I believe that's true, but I wanted to say, although it's my choice and your choice, it's not just my life or your life anymore. Everyone in the room, whether we understand it or not, has been given their lives, given the resources that we have, given the gifts you have. In other words, I am not and you are not an owner. You are a steward of life and gifts that have been given to you, and there is a call in your life to live it in a certain direction. In fact, if you're a Christian here, 1 Corinthians 6 teaches that you have been bought at a price and you are no longer your own. In other words, you belong to him. So I want to say to you, as I close, and as you think, what am I going to do with this message? It is your choice. It is my choice as to the decisions I make with my life. But if you're a Christian, there is a call on you to use the life and the energy and the resources and the talents that God has given you. And he's given to you to serve the people he loves and cares for, the people he wants to reach out for, the community that we live amongst, And I believe the best and the most biblical context from which you can ever do that is from being connected and committed to a local body of believers called the local church. Let's stand together.